Welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast, where each week we talk about all things related to the world of learning and development, including facilitation, instructional design, sales enablement, and so much more. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, and I'm an L&D strategist and career coach, and I'm here to take the guesswork out of becoming an L&D professional and show you how to unlock continued success in your learning and development career. I'm on a mission to quickly develop the next generation of L&D leaders who are looking to create meaningful and engaging learning experiences. So, if you're looking to transition into L&D for the first time, have found yourself accidentally in a training position, or are working up the ranks as an L&D professional already, you've come to the right place. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Overnight Trainer Podcast. I am so happy that you're choosing to spend some time, uh, not only with me today, but some time doing something for you today by listening to this show. So thank you so much for being here. And before we get on to our most fabulous guest, uh, I want to celebrate the wins that are happening inside of my eight-week group coaching program. So we are on week three. And someone in our group already has a huge potential job offer and not from a job that they applied to. Um, So, you know, so much happens within our group coaching program. And what I'm the most proud of with this group is how they come together to support one another. So that one person who has this great potential offer wouldn't have had that without the support of someone else in the group. So not only do you get access to me and an entire course about how to land, you know, your your dream L&D role, you also have a group of people to support you. And um, last week we had uh, guest coach, uh, Brooke Gassaway came and, and joined us to guest coach and she dubbed us a supportive gang. <laughs> and so we love that title and that's exactly what it is. So if you are looking for your own supportive gang um, to join and to see the results in your career transition to L&D, get on the wait list for the next cohorts. We already have a pretty long wait list. Um, I'll probably open up some more seats uh, than I did for this particular uh, session, Uh, but we will be starting in August. So it will be still kept small. And this cohort needs to be, you know, it works best when it's more of an intimate setting. Um, And so I'll probably open up just a few more seats than I did uh, this round. So if you are interested in getting on the wait list and uh, getting started, we will start pre-registration in July, which is, I mean, it's insane that it's already the end of June. So if you're listening to this in in, in real time, um, so just a few short weeks, we'll begin Uh, registration, pre-registration for it. And I always give my best deals to my VIP clients who are on the email wait list. So if you'd like to be on that, email me at hello at theovernighttrainer.com and I will get you on that wait list. And in the next few weeks, you'll hear some more information about all of that. All right, now on to today's episode. Uh, I talk about this in the episode, but Usually when I have a guest on who I've never officially met before, um, usually I'll schedule some time to chat with them ahead of time just to get to know them and you know to learn a little bit more about their journey and, and really think about the direction we want the show to go in. Uh, this week's guest, I was just so excited that he said yes to wanting to be on the show that I completely bypassed that and I just 
like booked a time to, to record. So everything that you're learning uh, from him today is I learned in real time with you as well. So uh, it's a really, really wonderful conversation that I have. So I am so excited to welcome John Hinchliffe head of talent at Jampan uh, to the show today. So John has spent the last 12 years being deeply, deeply immersed in the world of digital learning. So not only does he look over a thousand freelancers covering all aspects of digital learning implementation at Jampan, he mentors numerous instructional designers around the world and is the founder of the GLDC, which is the Global Learning and Development Community that was founded in May of 2020 to provide a welcoming environment for all individuals in the L&D industry to meet like-minded peers. So John has an incredible love and passion uh, for best practice sharing, and he's here today to do that with us. John, welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks a bunch for having me. Yeah, super excited. I was just <laughs> telling you before we started recording that usually I like to spend some time with the people who I'm interviewing with ahead of time, but I was just so eager and so excited to have you on that I just booked time to record. So everything that I'm learning about you in real time, the same thing of the listeners as well. So we're going to all be learning from you at the exact same time. I do not have any leg up on them today. <laughs> Happy days. Awesome. So I want to dive into your experience. So I saw on your LinkedIn, from what I've heard you, you know, speaking before, you started out as an English language teacher, yep. and now you're a head of talent, right? So <laughs> there, and there's some, a couple of years in, in between those, those two things there. So <laughs> I would love to hear about your journey and really how you worked your way up from being a, a English language teacher to where you are today. Yeah, I mean... Really, me becoming an English language teacher was quite a bit of a fluke, really. So I'd finished university and I was doing temporary jobs. I was doing really low level minimum wage admin jobs. And my sister, who works as a teacher all over the world, she gave me a text message and said, I've got you a job interview for a company in Japan. It's in London. It's on Tuesday. Be at this address at 12 o'clock. Is this, an older, quite, is this an older sister? This is an older okay. sister. Yeah. <laughs> As an older sister, I, I can I can relate to this. So continue. Yeah. So she was like, be here. And I thought, you know what? For me, always life is for living. So I was like, right, I'm going down. Had this interview. I thought I'd absolutely bombed it. Oh, it was horrific. And then a few weeks later, I got through this massive package through the door saying, congratulations, you move into Yokohama. This is what you need to know. Here's everything you need to know about the role. Living in Japan, you're good to go. And so I moved out there. And just as we were moving out there, there's all these reports coming out that the company is being sued by the government. So it's not like a small company. It's like the biggest English language school out there. And long story short, we got kicked out of Japan because the guy who ran the company escaped the country because he was being sued. He didn't pay our rent. So we got kicked out of our apartments, had no money, and so had to come back to the UK. And so that was my time as an English language teacher. And then I went into banking because I had a business degree. And I thought, you know, banking, banking is important because banking makes you money. 
money makes you happy. So is the, of course, you know, the magic course, formula, you know, that's, that's the recipe for success yeah, kids. <laughs> so I was doing that. I really didn't enjoy it, but I really enjoyed doing the morning meetings, you know, bringing some showmanship, some pizzazz, some joy to people's Monday mornings. And people were saying, you know, you're really good, especially with mentoring, you know, our new starters. Do you fancy going into training? You know, there's an opening for a six month position uh, at the other office. I was like, yeah, why not? So I started out doing the like credit card section of the bank for their operations in the UK. So covering a few different countries within that and just started getting on board with it, doing face to face, face to face. And then I got a chance opportunity to start doing screen recording. So I started using Camtasia, you know, and just starting to really be on board with that, a little bit of Captivate thrown in there. And it just started making me really, you know, get a love for digital. And so with that, I started learning my craft, started, you know, really getting on board with it, started learning about pedagogies, which I pronounced completely wrong for so long. I think it was like pedagogy. <laughs> I remember I was learning learning andragogy same thing i was like and andragogy and, and yeah exactly so it was that it was like really can we just take, call it adult learning and child yeah learning. let's just call it adult learning take your fancy words yeah. but i mean for me it was really in my spare time so in my evenings and my weekends really trying to learn my craft because i knew i wouldn't get enough opportunities within the business to be able to do it and so learning, honing, and then I managed to get a job as an instructional designer for a company that was just venturing into e-learning. So it really gave me a great opportunity to really learn e-learning. So taking textbooks, making them in storyline, you know, learning rapid development. How can I use templates to really speed up my process? How can I be more effective rather than efficient? And the big thing on that is efficiency just means you're doing something more. But that means if you're doing something wrong more, then you're doing more wrong. So be more effective than efficient. Mic drop. <laughs> oh, just and we're done. There yeah, you go. We're done. All right. Thank we're you, done. Congratulations. Today. We'll see you next week. <laughs> yeah. Here's a message from our sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, really learning and doing the work and really pushing, trying to create things as best I can, as fast as I can, in the best way. And then from there, I went and moved to a proper e-learning company. So from there, I was working my way up. I became team leader, looking after eight internal instructional designers. Then I was an ID manager. So I was the internal, but also 24 external instructional designers, building up their whole process, their whole offering, their templates, their just really who they were. At the same time, I was up for a couple of awards, and you know what the best thing was? I didn't even place in the awards. Always the best. Always, it's always the, the best. best when you're the loser. It is. <laughs> and, it's, and it's so odd, but I'm a real underdog. So I like having that little chip on my shoulder because that was the thing that made me say, right, okay, I've done that. What do I need to do next? Right. So then I became a director of the ELN as well as my full-time job so that I got exposed to the industry, so that I got exposed to community. I was doing, you know, e-learning heroes challenges. I was chatting to people in the industry. I was learning about why is LinkedIn so popular? What do I need to do on there? And then just working, working, working. Then I placed in one of the awards and then I went freelance because I was like, you know what? I got the chops. 
if I don't do it, I'm going to be 70 and I'm going to regret it. Mm-hmm. So I went freelancing, went freelancing. And then I then took a job to move to the United Arab Emirates. Life is for living. Life so, is for living. That's the name of this episode. Exactly. <laughs> Life is for living. Gosh, that actually does sound like quite a good title. I, I, I'm not joking. <laughs> yeah, do it. And so with this, I moved out to the United Arab Emirates. So I headed up instructional design for the United Arab Emirates University, really took over the blended learning program. So took it from a six week face-to-face to a four week blended program for all of their professors. And so you have somebody who was written off by their primary school teachers who said that they wouldn't make it to high school was now looking after 400 professors at the most prestigious university in the UAE. Life's a funny thing. So from there, I got, you know, pitched for a job to go to Franklin Covey in Dubai. So Franklin Covey in Dubai, seven habits of highly effective people moving through into there. Then COVID happened. All my family was here in the UK. My wife's here in the UK. And it just felt like a right time to come back. You know, just in my bones, it felt like the right time. So I came back and so David Wood, who owns Jampan, me and him have been chatting for ages. Like I've known him since he created Jampan seven years ago, always gotten on with him. When I was an instructional design manager, I got my freelancers from him. When I went freelancing, he helped me get my first gig. And so we've always chatted, always had a great relationship. And he said, look, I'm growing the business. We're growing so much. I need somebody to look after our talent. I want somebody who is approachable, knows the business, it's just going to treat people right. And um, so I said, look, do you want to come on board? And I said, yeah, absolutely. 100%. I was like, when do you want me to start? And he was like, when does your plane land? Yeah. <laughs> so my plane landed on the Saturday and I started on the Monday. Wow. And so, yeah, so now I'm head of talent for Jampan. So Jampan specializes in putting the right freelancers with organizations. So kind of like Upwork, but way more bespoke. So we really take care and attention in it being people first, like people centric. So who are you? What do you do? How do you do it? And also I really look at personality as well. So if you are a real introvert, I don't want to send you into an environment that could really harm you mentally. So it's that balance. And it's really looking at, you know, with clients as well, what do you need? And we also push back, you know, we're from an L&D background. So they'll come and they'll go, we need this e-learning thing. I've been reading about it. <laughs> I, I think we need this captivate thing. And it's like, well, actually, my friend, here's what you need. This is the type of people that you need. This is the price range let's get it going. So, um, yeah, I'm now coming up to a year with Jampan. Absolutely adore it. I adore the people here. Like everybody at their core is just so great. It sounds like such like a amalgamation of like all the things that you've done, kind of just like coming to like this perfect almost too good to be true, but it's true, right? Like point of like, you know, it's combining your love for instructional design, for leading people, you know, for developing people, for being people first, you know, to have all of that stuff just come, come into being one, one position. And it's, it's very rare. I think that everyone, people get to find 
all of the things that, you know, they've done throughout the years come together in such a, a beautiful point there. So that's so awesome that you get to experience that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know I'm super blessed. Like I tell my wife, I'm so, so blessed. But because because it, you have her. Oh, I tell her that. <laughs> She's like, oh, and my job, and my job, and my job. definitely you. <laughs> you know, wife, I'm a J-O-B. Um, but I mean, for me, it's also kind of, taken on board and being inspired by the people that I'm with. So David Wood, you know, who is CEO, founder of Jampan, is one of the most insightful people that I've come across, a real entrepreneur, but just the way that he looks at things and kind of gives you a perspective. I mean, some of the best advice he ever gave to me was whenever you're starting to do something and it's becoming a success, think about a version 2.0, a full clean slate, 2.0 if you completely redid it so not like a version 1.6 where you're kind of adding on go clean slate 2.0 what does it look like and I was that's like great I've, advice. I've never thought of it like that and that's why you know he's had the success that he has and will continue to have yeah I mean always kind of thinking I think even too we think about it from like a learning and development standpoint right of like if we're always thinking ahead of like, okay, what could 2.0 look like? What could 3.0 look like? I think A, it takes the pressure off of us to deliver perfect because perfect doesn't exist, right? Exactly. But knowing that, all right, I'm going to deliver what's best. It may not be perfect, but it's best with 2.0 in mind. And then with 3.0 in mind. So I, I love that because I, I, I often think of, of L&D professionals, no matter where you are in the industry of, we're essentially like many entrepreneurs of the, of these projects and of what we're working on and, you know, working with stakeholders, you have to work with so many people, you know, and kind of being able to manage the project and be a, a mini entrepreneur. So what great advice that can trickle down into pretty much anything anyone does, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, but to be able to say, all right, like this is, this is good. This is, I'm putting it out there, letting it roll. And now on to 2.0. I think that's yeah, yeah. fantastic advice. Yeah. And it is, I think it's that entrepreneur kind of really looking at, you know, especially for learning. I think learning is such a great way to look at it because when you look at how tricky it is being an L&D professional, the pressure to be 100% correct every time. I mean, apart from a doctor, there's not many professions that, you know, you really got that on you. So then we're also looking at things such as like- And even they month. make you sign waivers. Well, they make you sign waivers. Maybe no. L&D waivers. <laughs> L&D yeah. waivers. L&D waivers. This will be approximately 80% successful. <laughs> yeah. it didn't work. Don't sue us. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, when we look at things, you know, such as like marketing, A-B testing, actually being able to test with the business and justify to the organization that the reason that you're doing testing is because you want to find out what's going to work for your people. So rather than going 100%, you know, all eggs in one basket, why can't I have four baskets and find out which one's going to be right? And then your return investment has a better chance. Yeah. Why do you, why do you think, I mean, I think it's twofold. Like, why do you think there's two parts here? Why do you think L and D professionals have a struggle, a hard time with that? And then on the flip side, why do you think the business has a hard time with that? I think if we combine them both, if you look at school, it's a one hit wonder. Yeah that's it there is no testing within education you know the edge you know it's this is the way that it works sorry for the podcast there's air quotes here yeah <laughs> we can hear it in your voice <laughs> we can hear it. Da, da, da. 
yeah yeah it's that thing of you know when we look at education historically this is the way it's done you know when you have kickback on the way in which education has been done it's that this is the way it's done it doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing right it's all people know exactly and so you know we take into account that's how it should be done i mean that happens with a lot of things look at things such as pensions okay so pensions Pensions are usually put into mutual funds. Mutual funds, 96% of mutual funds fail. But the reason that we do them is because that is the norm. That's how they work. However, if you read any books by, let's say, Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins, you put them in an index fund, a Vanguard index fund, which measures the market, which historically will track upwards, that is far better for your pension. Also, caveat, asterisk, this is no real financial <laughs> advice to me, you know, but it's that thing of this is the way things have right. been done. The way that education has been done is this has got to be 100% right because that's how it's always been done. And that then filters into later on in life because we were all children. Yeah. It's so interesting too, even if you think about higher education and my listeners hear me talk about this a lot because I have a very specific view on it, but you know, we look at how higher education and, and universities, you know, how they structure their, their learning, which is built upon the same, the same foundation as, as, as primary school. And then, you know, I talk to so many people who have degrees that I don't want to say are meaningless, but are what they feel is meaningless to them at this, at, at this moment. Um, I work with a lot. I mean, a lot of people who are my clients, you know, have, are all getting into learning and development have these various, various degrees, uh, and, and kind of feel like, wow, I, I, I really didn't need to have that. But so it's, it's so interesting. So if we're, mo- we keep modeling ourselves on that when so many people leave higher education or education in general, not feeling they have the tools and the education they need to succeed, to succeed. But yet we still follow that model in the corporate world, even though we know when we left college, we did not have all the tools to be successful out in the world. So it's a pattern that has to be broken. How do we break it? Tell us the answers. <laughs> Tell us the answers. Oh my goodness. That's the $10 million question. Um, Obviously there's going to be people who are going to be listening to this and are very passionate about academia, you know, academia, learning, teaching, high school, all those kinds of things. I think it is that we need to start making incremental changes as to what people are learning and how people are learning recognize that we're not all going to be fantastic being in a room for 30 people you know trying to learn at the same pace as everyone also being distracted also at the same time you know you have to remember that people forget that's who we are we're super fallible you know even if we're going to ebbinghaus forgetting curve i know it sometimes gets a bit of a knock because Ebbinghaus did the research on himself. But at the same time, you have to remember that we all forget stuff. Yeah. You know, and so it's- I forgot we... what time we were meeting today. Exactly. <laughs> you know? It's been on my calendar for weeks. <laughs> but it's it's how do we start to adjust those? Is it that we look at the schedules? Is it that we have to look at the whole system? How long things are? Is it that we look at when a holiday is taking place? How do we blend things? How do we incorporate parents? How do we incorporate, you know, different roles outside of the norm? I mean, if we think about this, this is actually a really good one. It's got me thinking, but, you know, 
previous to the internet, when people were mentioning the internet, people didn't know what on earth it would be, but now how many jobs it's created. What happens if there was education 2.0 that created mentors, you know, learning partners so that you had tutors who were maybe not originally tutors, but could go through material who knew particular subjects and could guide people in their spare time. And how do we change the mindset of what learning is that it's not just from, you know, eight till three, it's at different times. And so it's, how do we do that? I also think the stuff that people are learning about needs to be assessed. Um, My apologies if you're listening to this, I don't know why on earth I learned about the Bayer tapestry when I was a kid, because I'd far rather learn about being a good human being than a piece of knitting. Yeah. Um, Probably, probably offend some people with my apologies, but (laughs) I would far rather as focus on the stuff that sets people up to be good human beings than the stuff that we've deemed is important because of historical, you know, nature of how we do education. And I think if we can help people with anxiety, mental health awareness, make that normalized at a really young age, because, you know, when you're kids, you're kind of ingrained to call things out that are supposed to not be right, you know, that are different. If we totally- Ask the questions, why? Yeah. So if you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like, why don't we normalize? I've got a test and I'm shaking. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Why aren't we teaching them, you know, patterns? How are we helping them calm down? How are we helping them, you know, get in a position whereby they're ingraining into themselves to repeat the information? And how do we then build that also into the criteria of learning? Because at the moment, we set education up so that it is for short-term knowledge retention, not for repetition of knowledge. And so, I mean, that's tricky. You know, that's the thing. It's a really tricky thing. But I think if we could go, you know, like we were talking at a version 2.0 and completely change a system, incremental change to make that happen. I think for the long-term, because those children become adults, I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, I really love what you talk about too, about, you know, learning, you know, being beyond eight to three. And that's something I think even in the corporate L&D world, we struggle with so much of people thinking learning is happening between my my, learning in order to be good at my job happens between nine to five. And, you know, one of the companies I consult for when we're doing learner persona interviews, you know, we always have to preface and it's sad, but we have to do it of like, when we're asking them about kind of like where they learn and how they learn all these questions, we always have to preface by saying, we don't equate all learning with training because we have to like, like, and I always use the, it's a silly example of like, you could be walking down the street, you see a flower. You're like, what kind of flower is that? I whip out my camera. I have an app that tells me now I know it's a hydrangea and I just learned like that's, that's learning. And so I think it's just so interesting because we are ingrained at such a young age of like learning happens in a classroom and it happens in these hours when really you come home and you're learning, you're out walking, you're learning, you know, you're watching your parents, your guardians, you're learning. And so it's just like redefining. I think we get caught up in this like training box of like training happens here at these times, at these places. And it's like, but learning doesn't. So like, you can't, 
learning is like trying desperately to break out of this box that we keep, we as a society keep putting it, like trying to shove it, you know, back into, I wish the people could see our, uh, my hand motions. Lots of hand motions. Lots of, lots of, lots of hand motions, but you know, we keep trying to shove learning back into the, it's, it's container. And I think in 2.0, there's no container, right? It's just, this is, this is learning. Our, our life is learning. (laughs) Like that is, we live every single day. I mean, even without knowing it, we're picking up information. So I just think, you know, there's so much work to be done. And I wonder what your thoughts are like, I, cause I've seen this shift now happen in corporate L and D. Right. So I think, and especially COVID pushed us and I'm sure you've seen it too. Like COVID pushed us into a place where we had had to come outside of the box because people were working remotely and childcare and mental health. And there's so many things to think about with that. And so we've had to, most companies have had and organizations have had to pivot and so I wonder if now, like if, if, if corporate L&D could essentially be the role model that education could look to versus being the other, right? It's almost like the child and the parent, like for so long, you know, corporate L&D looked up, looked up and, and took and basically took the structure from education, but could education now look at corporate L&D and see, oh, wow these children are the same as these adults. They're all going through the same thing just at, you know, at different levels of it. And so I wonder what, yeah, what your thoughts are on, on could corporate L and D be the ones to set the stage? Only if education is willing to listen. Yeah. That's the difference. And I've worked in both education and corporate and they felt like two very different worlds. And so I think it is, you know, education being open you know open to looking at what is going on seeing the benefits and you know another thing is them understanding what's in it for me you know us as human beings always look into what's in it for me and so it's really understanding you know if we do make change what is it going to mean because they might say well you're changing anyway and we're the, still the same so you've changed why do we need to change because you're going to do it so it's a very very tricky one um i mean covid's been an incredible time covid has lifted the curtain on a lot of learning programs you know both corporate and education to really show we're not as far ahead as we thought we were you know i remember a few years ago when i was in you know instructional design and i thought my word i need to know vr ar ai because we are so fast you know we're, we're really there and then you know people <laughs> people using zoom meetings and being shown as cats <laughs> we're at that level yeah that's where we are <laughs> that's where we are boys and yeah. girls well, I think it's so interesting you mentioned that too, because a lot of people that I work with, and I know you do a lot of mentorship too, especially on instructional designers, I think feel the pressure to know all those things, AR, VR, AI, like, and be at the forefront. Yeah. And, I, and I often find, I was talking about this with uh, a friend of mine who's an instructional design manager, and it's like with the rise of so many new tools and rapid authoring tools and and even to your point of like lifting the curtain and seeing kind of like where we actually are, you know, what, what would you say to those people who are feeling the pressure to really know those types of, of technologies? 
it takes far longer than you think it would. That's the biggest thing. I mean, you know, I am 13 years into my career and I don't know them. You know, I think it's focusing on, it's focusing on what you want to focus on at the moment. What yeah. can you become a specialist at the moment? And also what is truly in demand right now? I love that. I think oh, that's so key. I think so many people struggle with like the, I should be doing. And it's like, that's coming from probably someone who does specialize in that and have made it, has made it their life's work to do VR and, you know, but, but to a, an instructional designer who's working within a corporation, you know, that might not be what the organization wants or needs at all, but that there's still that pressure to to know it. Also think about this, you know, the vast majority of instructional designers are going to be in organizations that are either a one, two person team that may be doing the bog standard, sorry, air quote again, ladies and gents, bog standard, boring e-learning. And because we do so much social media, you know, insight whereby we see people with flashy cars, live in the good life, VR, AR looks sexy to us. Yeah. And so we're like, I want me a piece of that. I want to get on board with that. I want to do that cool stuff. That's what I need to do. That's what I want to do because that's what's happening now. But the fact is, it's really hone your craft, you know, turn what you're doing into that 2.0. So if you think about, you know, being inspired by people, be inspired by the right people, be inspired by people like Kath Ellis, honestly, one of the best instructional designers I know in the world. In yeah. the world, yes. And like the kindest human. <laughs> kindest human, kindest human who through showing me a piece of her work made me cry because it was so I don't doubt amazing. It. Okay, so she showed me the fallout at DevLearn. So we were at DemoFest, she showed me it. And I went on this rambling speech to the people around me because I was saying, this is the level. This is where we're supposed to be playing at. You know, it was a podcast driven anti-bribery course. Okay. Anti-bribery should be boring. It should be click next, tons of text, maybe some pictures in there, maybe video if you're getting jazzy. But she took it to another level. So instead of thinking VR, AR, AI at this moment in time, go 2.0 and think, how do I make this incredible? How might I do story turn? How can I really learn my authoring tools so that I can bring this to life? You know? That's, that's where I really think. I think uh, that's, I I know so many people listening to this are going to feel like they're going to take a deep breath and like breathe out and feel like for the first time in a long time, they're able to breathe out because a lot of my clients that I work with, especially people who are looking to get into instructional design, feel this immense amount of pressure. And I've been in this industry now for 10 years and I am no instructional design expert, but I've done a lot of instructional design and I've only used Camtasia, Articulate, Rise, a little bit of Captivate, probably couldn't use it anymore and was incredibly successful. And then podcast, like use a microphone, like Mm -hmm. utilizing the tools that you already have, I think is such an important thing to think about and becoming a master of those to 2.0 versus like, okay, I have a baseline knowledge of Camtasia. Now I'm going to learn AR. And it's like, okay, well, let's, let's back it up. And yeah be really good with Camtasia. You know, how can you make that 2.0? So I think that's such a, you know, people are going to feel such a sigh of relief because 
you know, I think a lot of these tools are for people who, again, who are super, super specialized. And I'll, if a com- I truly believe also if a company wants that, they're then willing to pay like a freelancer <laughs> to, to do that, right? That they're not necessarily going to need it on their team. They're not going to look to you and say, all right, John, it's now your turn to you know, become the AR specialist. They would say, all right, John, need you to you know, source someone who could help us build some AR. And it's like, great, no place I can get some freelancers from. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So kind of along the same lines, and I know, you know you've spent a lot of your career in instructional design and kind of a two-part question here. Would you say you like fell in love with instructional, like you sought out instructional design or do you, would you say instructional design found you? Oh, that's a deep one, isn't it? Um, So my kind of, first dipping of my toe was I saw Steve Jobs do the presentation for Apple when they announced iCloud. Okay. And it was, how did they put animation on the presentation? That was the simple thing. That was my gateway drug. Cause I was like, that just amplified it to the next level, but it wasn't super expensive how they'd done it. It was just transitions and timings and those kinds of things. So that was the thing, like digital learning just started and kind of enticing me in by the desire to take what was plain and just bring it to life. So yeah, I think, I think there's a bit of both there, but yeah, it's kind I was of, say you chose that life, but that life also chose you, Steve Jobs. Um, I, I, did, <laughs> I did life. Exactly. I love that. So I want to pivot because something that you have been working on over the last year is building community. And I want to talk about community because I think, especially in the world of COVID as we, whatever the new normal is. And I think even looking in the last year of how the learning and development community as a whole has come together to help each other and to learn, you know, before we get into talking about your specific community that you've built, the GLDC, I would love to know like what role has like having a community played in your success? For me, it's a gigantic part, you know. Um, also, I'm super humble. So success to me, I'm still getting started. Like I'm, and this is the really weird thing. Like I'm, I've won like awards, I've board of directors, you know, I've got a pretty awesome job, but still I'm right at my beginning of my career because I'm always hungry for it. It's but you know think- what's so funny, not to cut you off, but last night I had a group coaching session. Um, and one of my group coaching clients had talked about how she heard someone else talk about like the 10% rule and how like, you'll always be 10% ahead of someone else, but like someone else will always be 10% ahead of you. And it's just so interesting to hear you say that because I remember like when you first commented on one of my posts, I was like, Oh my God, John commented on one of my posts, you know, I was like, Oh, you know, and it's like, cause I, that's how I view you. But it's so interesting to hear you say like, I'm just getting started. So yeah. it just, it, it, it's always interesting to see it from the different vantage points there too. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, you know, I'm still me. That's the thing. I'll always still be me and I'll always try and help as many people as possible and always, you know, and I thank so much appreciation for the slight fangirling. Um, yeah. it's, it's still a new thing to me. I'm, I'm I, yeah, but we secret fan club, but we, 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 we fan, the Facebook the page is really yeah. cool. Um, you found the photos where I had hair and you know, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. We, we started your only fans page actually. Thanks. 
I've got to pay the rent somehow. <laughs> but um, I think for me, you know, community is absolutely essential because uh, social media has got a really good way of making you feel bad. Okay. Social media is really good at telling you that you're not good enough, that you are not smart enough, that you're not pretty enough, and that there's all these different products that can come out to help you. You know, community is really about finding your tribe and them letting them, you know, really give their feedback on you in a lovingly honest way and helping you understand where you need to go. You know, community for me is I've been very fortunate to be friends with and talk to some incredible people. Um, I speak to people like Laurie Niles Hoffman. I fanboyed, you know, over Laurie because she is incredible. You know what? She's such a beautiful, beautiful human being. Um, also, little known fact, she makes incredible um, egg paintings. Oh, wow. I'm seeing one in real life right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for community, it's really finding the people that are there to make a positive influence, that are not there to just be negative and complain. And I'm seeing that a lot on LinkedIn at the moment. It's people complaining about learning. And a massive disagreement from me is, if somebody's coming new to the industry and they're looking for inspiration, they're looking to know what's good, how are they supposed to know what to do if all they've been told is what not to do? Like, how could you learn to drive a car if just somebody told you, don't press the accelerators too hard, don't do this, don't do that, don't tell me what to do, tell me what's good. And that's the thing about community. You know, I had a really great experience. I was on the board of directors for the e-learning network. And so I took care of events for them. I did some mentoring with them and really getting to know people and just see what people are doing, you know, be inspired. I think that's the biggest thing for me. And that's made a massive difference to kind of my career trajectory. I love that. I mean, I love that you talked about too, like there is so much negativity out there. Like I know, and I learned about this very recently that even the learning and development world, like there are Twitter handles that are, you know, dedicated to, to pointing out what's wrong with people and their learning, you know, whether it's something that they said, like, it, I mean, it's, it's can be a really nasty place. And I know, you know, there's people that I've worked with that have said like it, seeing some of those posts have made me a not want to get into L and D in the first place and be scared. If I do scared to even post, that was something we talked about last night in my group coaching program, you know, cause networking is a huge part of, of looking for a job and, you know, communities that too. And just a lot of them having fear around posting because they're afraid someone's going to come and say, that's wrong. You're wrong. You know? And that was, uh, it's, I, 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 I wrote a post on this more about like, we would never, if someone was sitting in as L and D professionals, if someone was sitting in a classroom with us, we were facilitating like old, olden days, but, and someone said something wrong air quotes, we would never say, Oh, you're wrong. You're so wrong in front of everyone else. Right. We'd say, wow, that's an interesting perspective. Like, tell me more about that. Or, you know, there's been some, you know, some studies that have shown X, Y, and Z. You know, here's some more information on that. We would never ever publicly as L and D professionals, I hope not publicly shame someone in person. Why are we doing that in, in this space, especially to people who are new and they're learning it's our job as we've been in this industry for decade, decade plus to, to be able to help educate, not to bring people down. So you know, I, I love how you mentioned that because community creates that safe place where you can feel that you can ask 
the silly question or the dumb question. If you, there are no dumb questions, you know, it's, it's only growth from there, but it creates that safe place. And you, you know, you've done that. And so what, so let's talk about the GLDC. So why did you start it? Kind of like, where did it start? Who's it for? Where is it now? Like it's grown probably, I'm assuming beyond your wildest imagination. Yeah. Um, so it started actually in the United Arab Emirates. So uh, when I moved out to the United Arab Emirates, I had come off the back of being with the e-learning network and doing their social events. And so I went out to the UAE and I was chatting to people and I was like, right, where are the socials? Where are the communities? And said, well, there aren't any. I mean, there are some, but you have to pay for it. And so to me, that was, it just felt dirty. Yeah. You know, why would you pay to meet your compadres? So I'm very much a doer. So I was like, right, I'm just going to host it then. So I lived in the desert. I was an hour and a half away from Dubai. So what I did was I put out on LinkedIn. I said, look, if you would like to meet like-minded L&D people, I'm going to be at this bar at this time. Come meet me there. Drove for an hour and a half, paid to stay over at a hotel. And bless six people turned up. They took a chance. Because a lot of people were worried that I was going to be a snake oil salesman. You know, kind of like, oh, come to this free shindig. Yeah. And by the way, you can, you know, get on board with my academy or. Yeah. <laughs> and so these six people came. It was the most humid day I have ever experienced. It was like 90% humidity. Ooh. It was incredibly, oh, it was not great. But I gave so much value to people. I have a course on Udemy. I gave it to them for free. I just gave them, gave them value. What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What do I know? What am I seeing in the UK? What can they apply? And then from there, they went out and they were like, yeah, he's not a snake oil salesman. Just gave us tons of stuff. So then the next one, there was like 19 people and then it grew and it grew and it grew and then COVID happened. And so I thought, well, why am I just going to do a Zoom that's just going to be people in the UAE? So opened it up on my LinkedIn. I'm really fortunate that you know, I've got quite a cool following on LinkedIn. And so tons of people came to the first one. And really for me, the whole thing was, how can I provide just a safe, fun environment? Safe and fun. That's it. No sales, no selling, just safe and fun. Be who you are. Okay. If you are, you know, you like wearing Star Wars outfits. Cool. We got you. You've got Harry Potter memorabilia in the background. We've got you. And so for this, you a, Zumba, a Zumba class, there has been a Zumba class, you know, and so really it was about just providing that space. And, you know, we have been going just over a year now. We've had over a thousand people attend from all over the world. The only place I haven't had people attend from is Antarctica because we Yet. can't get penguins. Yet. Yet. <laughs> I can get a penguin to use Zoom, I am a-okay. But really, it's about providing people with friendships. You know, people have made friendships. They have gotten jobs. But the biggest thing is it's been helped people's mental health. The amount of emails I've got from people who say, hi, John, we haven't spoken before, but I'm a single mom. I've been, you know, with my kid. I've not been able to see my workmates in two months. And this is the thing that keeps me going. You know, every Friday, I look forward to this. um, And I just want you to know. And it's that it's, you know, multiple emails along those lines of, I haven't been able to see my family 
you know, I've just broken up with my partner and I was really alone, but every Friday I know I'm going to see my friends. And these are people that are living it in completely different time zones to them, but they've made those friendships. And now, you know, the greatest thing is even in Toronto, there's a massive bunch in Toronto and they actually have drinks together. You know, physical... you gotta go to Toronto now. You gotta go, go meet the group. <laughs> there you go. I'm the Drake of L and D over there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's really beautiful how it's come together. But I mean, I'm obviously the bloke at the front. I'm the face of it. But it's really the community. The community has made it what it is. And yeah, we've had stand up comedy nights. We've had Harry Potter quizzes. Tonight we had a Star Wars quiz. People came in their Star Wars outfits. We've had Zumba classes. But most of all, we've just helped a hell of a lot of people. And that's the big thing. Did you ever expect any of this, any of that to come from it? No, I I was just being a nice bloke who wanted to bring people together and maybe bring them a laugh on a Friday. You were looking for your own community and look what you've done for for everyone else. Exactly. So So with that, and I'm going to, I'm going to push this episode up in the queue because there's an event coming up that I want everyone who listens to know about. So you have an event coming up in conjunction with LND Cares. Yep. And I would love for you to tell us more about that. So this will go live on Tuesday, the 22nd, I think is the it's Tuesday. Second, so just before. Just before. So purposely moving this up. So sorry to my other guests who thinks that they're, they're going to be on Tuesday. But um, tell us more about that event and who it's for. How did it come, come alive? Um, and where can people find out more information about it? Yeah. Um, so I've had the pleasure of speaking at conferences. You know, it's something that I'm really privileged to do. But I talk to so many people who have never had that experience, find it really difficult putting together a proposal and have been turned down heaps. And so I wanted to give people the opportunity. So rather than do a conference about becoming a first time speaker, I've put on a conference for first time speakers. So all the speakers are first time speakers. So give them their shot. Um, I keynoted at LD Cares Growth Summit um, a few months ago. I had the pleasure of meeting Elizabeth Lemka. She is such an incredible superstar. And I just said, look, LD Cares has very similar vibe to GLDC. Can we collab? Which is unheard of, really, you know, in LD. Organizations collabing, why would you do that? It doesn't make sense. Also, why would you do an event for free without sponsors? with all the speakers that are first time speakers, it makes zero sense, but it's the right thing to do. And so when you're listening to this on Friday, the 25th and Saturday, the 26th, yeah, that's another thing that doesn't, doesn't make sense. Why do you want a Friday and a Saturday? Because then people can at least attend one day. Right. So um, yeah, all the speakers are first time speakers. We've had them being provided with mentors as well. So much love to our mentors who have gotten on board. I mean, we've had crazy superstars like Cassie Labori being a mentor, you know, and we have this incredible team in the background making it happen. So yeah, if you're listening to this on the Tuesday, on Friday and Saturday, yeah, you can attend. It's completely free. Uh, If you go through to my LinkedIn, you'll see posts about it. If 
you'll be kind enough to do a link through to my LinkedIn. That would be oh, fantastic. And um, yeah, it's just letting people know that they can have that shot, you know, that they can learn from this, that they can do it in a safe environment, that they're in a community that's doing it the same. So it's not just them, but also getting over that thought of when you're speaking and you have those nerves and you're worried that people want you to fail, actually flip that and understand that people want you to be amazing because they want you to bring them so much value. Yeah. And so yeah, so that's why I've done it. That's amazing. Would you say a lot? So a lot of my audience are people looking to transition into learning and development. Would you say that they're a pretty good audience to go and to learn Uh, from that perspective? hundred percent. Because I mean, the fact is, please also note, these are first time speakers, but they're absolutely amazing first time speakers, you know, so you're getting them before they become famous. This is like my dad, he saw Frank Sinatra at his local working men's club here in the UK before he got famous. You knew him when. You know, I I knew them before they were famous. I that like can it. be your thing. Yeah, that's that's incredible. So along those same lines, and if you think about it and kind of to wrap up our, our conversation, something I usually ask to most of my guests is, you know, for people who are looking to transition into L&D, what would you say is your number one piece of advice? Besides attending this conference. Attending <laughs> the conference. Um, so it's it's a piece of advice with a caveat okay it's be agile and be inspired so with being agile l and d shifts quite frequently but it's about how can you have your core offering and how can you shift it and evolve it to meet the current demands so if we look at instructional design a massive thing that we do need to look at is yes instructional design is creating learning but you need to look at the whole sphere of what you're creating. So not just the singular piece, but the whole journey. So how do you help people learn at that point, but also how do you help them when they forget? So how are you creating resources along with your courses so that when they do forget, they can get that answer. Because if you look at how you live your life, Google, YouTube is there for when you need it. So make your learning when you need it and just be really open to what is going on in the world. Look at what are the good people talking about and just taste things. You know, we're at this wonderful point in our life where you can taste content curation. What does that mean? How could I use that? What does it mean to do user-generated content? Well, you have a mobile phone, just create. You can use MS Team streams to have channels of user-generated content that you can do internally. Perfect. So be agile. Yeah, be agile. I love that. And also too, like what I got from that, and even from our conversation we talked about earlier of like, and not overcomplicating to your point, like you, you can use Microsoft teams for this. Like you don't have to source a new software and, you know, do all the the bells and whistles and implementation and all of that. Like, you know, look at what you already have and and be, be creative within there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really just see where you can integrate things. So things that you utilize, how can you integrate them? Yeah. (laughs) 2.0. I love that. All right. Last question. And this is a brand new question that I'm going to ask all my guests. So you're the first one. What are you currently learning right now? So mine's a weird one. Okay. Right now. Um, The inaugural question gets a weird answer. (laughs) It's kind of, it's almost kind of making a rod for my own back as well and being accountable. 
So over COVID, um, I ate a lot of ice cream um, <laughs> and I put on a little bit of my handles got handles. <laughs> and so when I went back to the gym, I was in the studio and I saw some people posing for a bodybuilding contest. And I've been going to the gym for a long time, but I've never hit it really hard. And I just thought, I really fancy just once in my life doing a contest. So I'm not going to do the big bodybuilder, but kind of the beach physique. I'm aiming to do a beach physique contest next year, hopefully. So I'm giving myself plenty of time. So currently I'm learning about how much protein I need, what food I need to have, how to work out effectively, and just kind of what I need to do in order to do that. So yeah, that is my crazy, crazy little bit of learning. I love that that is the answer that kicked off this question. <laughs> there you go. I love it. And it's, you know, I think that goes to show too that like, look, learning happens all the time. Like exactly. I want, I want to, you know, cut in the gym. I have to learn how to do it. It's not, no one, you're not taking a training class on it, right? You are learning how to do it. So I think that's a, a great way to wrap up everything that we have talked about today, which has been such an incredible conversation. Uh, we knew that we would go quote unquote air quotes off script. Uh, and I'm so glad that we did. And we got into some really amazing deep conversations. Uh, I think this will be a fan favorite episode for sure. Where can people find you, connect with you, learn more about you? Uh, if people want to come see what I'm doing, so you can check me out on LinkedIn. Uh, pretty much I live there. Also check me out at Jampan. So jam-pan.com. We do a whole heap of good. And also we're doing a lot of free resources to try and help people who are either just in the industry learning about learning and also are amazing freelancers. So those are the two places where people usually find me. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you so much for taking time uh, to hop on today. Like I said, I think this will be super, super impactful and I know it won't be the last time that we we speak so thank you so much for being on the show today thanks a lot for having me thank you so much for listening to today's episode if it resonated with you in any way please let me know by subscribing liking and leaving a review i'd love to hear from you on how you're using these tools as well as what you want to hear more of so connect with me on linkedin at sarah canistra send me a dm or email me at hello at the overnight trainer.com I can't wait to hear from you. And until next week, stay learning.